the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can talk about the stock market for sure. It's been an interesting week, to say the least, on the stock market, right? Um, so I'll, I'll start probably there, because I think that's what most people are concerned with. Um, people like me, not showing a lot of concern. I've seen this before. I remember the last time, and it doesn't stress me. Um, I'll, I'll probably throw in some Donald Trumps here and there because he's just awesome as far as media sound bites, right? So uh, let's take a look at the markets. Uh, we got markets opening higher. We had the markets finishing higher yesterday. We've got news that the U.S. economy grew 3.7% in the second quarter, more than forecast. We got oil moving higher. Um, with world markets moving higher, Asia, China moving higher, rest of the world moving higher. That's the basics that I want to throw out because I think that's the basics that people are chewing on right now. Um, I believe that, you know, one of the themes this week is it's not how we start, it's how we finish. The market finished in a most remarkable fashion, melting up yesterday, if you will in an afternoon trading to score its biggest gain since 2011 versus Tuesday when it melted down in the final hour to log its biggest reversal since 2008. Holy snikes, that's a lot to think about, right? Um, so today's Thursday. Wednesday, we had the biggest gain slash reversal where we were, you know, started lower, go higher since 2008. And since, I'm sorry, let me, melting up biggest gain since 2011 and Tuesday was the biggest reversal since 2008 where we we're up super big and went down super big okay that's crazy just right there okay this is very uncommon the market's been the market's been doing a little bit more of that recently you know in the last 10 15 years the market used to be boring back when my dad was involved in the market it moved like a point the market was up three points today so 
Remarks came early in the session yesterday from Fed President, New York Fed President, so he's a big banker guy, uh, Dudley. Um, in the session, his comments got out early, and the market ran into it about a weakness that saw the major indices cough up a significant portion of their opening gains. Um, he acknowledged earlier in the day that a rate hike in September now looks less compelling. Mr. Dudley balanced that, though, with the subsequent knowledge that the data received from now in September meeting could make the rate case uh, more compelling. In light of the global equity market turmoil, market participants already understood that the prospect of rate hike in September was less compelling, and yet that didn't stop them from selling off on Monday and Tuesday. So Asia goes up today and we're like, good, but we still have this Fed thing to start to hammer out, and that could be 30 days away. So we're not out of it. We're not like we're not looking at the companies and going, man, the earnings on GE look fantastic. I should be buying. We're still in a low-rate environment. We're still in a weak oil environment. We're still in the how fragile is China. Stock market came back with a bang like it did yesterday because a lot of people are positioned to see it end with a late whimper. When that didn't happen, short sellers began covering, which expediated the recovery run and drew some additional money off the sidelines in a bargain hunting effort. Trading volume was very heavy once again. A lot of individuals are scared. I don't think you should be. I just think you should have a plan. Um, the NASDAQ 100, which was down 9.8% at its low on Monday, um, is now up one half of a percent for the week, and it's only Thursday. Can you imagine when I just said the top 100 stocks of the NASDAQ was down for the week 9.8%, and it's already reversed that, and now it's up a half a percent for the week? Apple is a... I know! Now, Apple has been a significant part of that at its low on Monday, $92 a share. It had dropped 32% from its all-time high. 32%, that's technically called a bear market. On Wednesday, Apple closed at 109.69, leaving it up 19% from that aforementioned low. So people who are savvy have made 19% in Apple this week, and that's almost impossible for a company with a market cap of $600 billion plus. Apple's looking stronger today as well. Um... So how's that for head turning, right? You know what you get when you combine a bear and bull market in the same week? Uh, uh, un, unbearable. Ba-da-ba. Trading action of late has been flat out crazy. Real-time analysis of things has reflected a similarly baffling presence, you know. Um... When the market was retreating after Mr. Dudley's remarks yesterday, the line of reasoning was holding off on a rate hike in September meant that outlook was weak, so traders were disappointed by that. When everything came roaring back, the line of reasoning was that the market was enthused by the idea of the Fed holding off on a rate hike in September, keeping money cheaper, lower, longer. Today, China Shanghai Composite Index shot up 5.3%. Remarkably, the entirety of that gain came in the final hour of trading on some reported government intervention to prop up things. Let's just say that... China's market remains far from settled. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be able to hold things down at this point in time. Second estimate for second quarter GDP uh, produced an upward revision as expected. So GDP in the United States Christmas product, uh, if it's a number between 2 and 4%, it's pretty darn good. Um, 2 on the weaker side, 4 on the hot side. So Goldilocksian, you'd say 3 uh, second quarter GDP was revised up to 3.7%. Ooh, not Abby. 
very, very hot, very, very sexy. You are a sexy GDP. Now get over here. So the drivers of the upward revision were personal consumption expenditures. We spent non-residential fixed investment, boring. Private inventories, boring. The latter two in the particular made a big difference with the advance estimate. Boring. Today we got initial jobless claims for the week ending August 22 declined by 6,271,000. The prior week was left unrevised, um, so this is good. That number has been hovering around 275. It's 272 right now on average. That's considered good. It's encouraging readings for people looking to get jobs. The report helps solidify expectations that non-farm payrolls will again exceed 200,000 in August. Continuing claims for the week ending August 15th increased by 13,000 to 2.2 million. That pushed the four-week moving average down by just 250 to $2.265 million. That's a long time to be unemployed. That is not good. Um, so we have a higher market for now. Again, I'm not a crystal ball kind of guy, uh, and I don't really care. So we got weakness in utilities stocks. So people are saying, I don't need safety. I want sexy. So technology, materials, energy, consumer discretionary, doing well. Uh, again, the story of the day, China Shanghai Composite up 5.3%, probably some sort of PBOC, People's Bank of China, intervening in the market, and the second estimate of qu- second quarter GDP beat expectations. So we feel good domestically. We're a little nervous nas- uh, internationally, but we feel very good domestically. Um, I'm Rob Black. Don't be shy. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. Email me, rob at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. And find me on TV, Channel 4, Crud. Well, we spent a long time getting here through the fear. It was too dark to see if you answer honestly. I'm sorry that it's not quite how you thought it would be. It's always the same, just the same. You and me, come around. Well, I'd really like to see you. We could watch the television, you could cook a pizza. Love, you're loud, you shout, you're proud. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Market aftershocks. We had a lot of drama this week. And some people think that we'll have some aftershocks for months to come. With the U.S. major averages pacing to cap their worst week of the year Friday, it certainly appears to be a well-timed caution, but... A guy named Robert Schiller was talking uh, last week about this. So he said there's going to be aftershocks last Friday. And he was kind of right. It could be even bigger and bigger moves, he said in an interview. I had a general bias towards down because the market's overpriced, but these things unfold over years sometimes. So he kind of covered his bases by saying, hey, market's expensive, bad things are coming. Could be years, though. Schiller conceded the possibility that the sell-off last week could create aftershocks in either direction in the short term. He highlighted a psychological bias for those in the periphery. 
there's a lot of truth to that. When people who don't normally pay attention to the market are brought in, it can feel like it's an epidemic. Oh my gosh, the market's crashing. Um, with a long-term view, though, I have to you know again tell you, citing confidence that China will continue to grow, and the U.S. economy and housing market's pretty good, and the auto market's good, and the job market's good. Um, it's a thumbs up kind of world. There's some bubble mentality going on for sure in real estate. <coughs> San Francisco. Anyway, let's talk a little more real estate with Tony Mendez. Let's welcome in Tony Mendez. Tony and I go way back. He's someone that I trust. He's someone I've done loans with in the past. He is my lender. You can find him online at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. I am in my world of the stock market of companies and picking stocks and the economy and interest rates as tied towards borrowing costs for corporations. You, on the other hand, see things a little bit differently. I don't see everything you see. And like an FHA loan, I don't even know what it is. What's it sta- what is it? Federal Housing Administration. Okay. It's, it was started back in the 40s to help low-income and low-credit borrowers get into housing. It was an initiative, uh, and it's still around. It's, it's now slowly becoming or fast coming the new subprime. Subprime is gone. Those are those tricky loans, the stated income, interest only, and negam loans. FHA kind of replaced that. It's also a low down payment program. You can put as little as 3.5% all the way to $729,000 loan here in the Bay Area. So it's a tool that people use when they have um, a lower, a lower income, lower credit scores, and lower down payment. It's not always the best tool to get into real estate, especially if the market's going to be flat or you think your job might go away sometime soon or you might decrease income or lose some income from a family member if they get, you know, have a child, for example. Um, but there are some advantages to it. You, know, you can get gift money from okay. a, a couple other places. You can have non-occupant co- uh, co-borrowers, meaning you can have your parents help you co-sign. Wait, wait, wait. Let's do the first one first. Gift money. What is gift money and how does it tie to an FHA loan and why is that a good thing? Um, gift money is gift from a family member, for right. example. And you can do that in most cases with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, your regular conventional loans. But all of the gift can come from your family as opposed to having it to put in a 5 or 10% in the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Um, gifts are, are a good thing, I, I think. And it's a way that you know families help each other out. Um, but it's it's still my goal that no matter what, I do on a real estate transaction, I always try to get 20% because the extra down payment that you put in is going to get rid of that mortgage insurance. And it's all about the rate of return. With FHA has a high mortgage insurance, and this is the, the con to FHA, is not the con meaning it's a, it's a scam, it's the, the pro and con, is mortgage insurance for FHA has gone up year over year over year since 2006. It's over one and a quarter right now on a monthly basis, and that's planning on going up again. And they're about to change the rule about keeping your mortgage insurance for five years and then being able to eliminate it once you hit 78%. It's called now life mortgage insurance, life of the loan mortgage insurance. So it's becoming a lot more expensive to use FHA. It has regained popularity recently, but it's it's probably going to go away. FHA has been having some trouble keeping their balance sheet straight. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit FHA. That's a product. I don't know it. I trust that people like you know all the products out there. Um, you one time showed me something called Loan Sifter that you punch in someone's name, address, income, and it basically starts telling you, you know, who will loan this person how much money. 
do I need to know about FHA, or do I just need a good lender who knows about all the programs out there? If you have, if if you're in a product, uh, buying a house or refinancing, and your loan amount is conforming, meaning it conforms to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, and you have at least 10% equity, you don't need an FHA loan. You can, you'll still get a mortgage insurance, but it'll be a lot less lowering, but your rate might be a little higher. But your mortgage insurance will drop off at a certain point as opposed to FHA. Um, I think if you were to do normal payments on a 3.5% down, you're looking at over seven to eight years of keeping mortgage insurance as opposed to somebody who gets bonuses. Let's say you get a, uh, you're looking at the difference between FHA and a conventional, and you have 10% down. Should you use FHA or should you use a conventional? I'd use conventional if you had a way to get that loan balance below 80% of the original appraised value because your MI will drop off. FHA, you have to keep it a minimum of five years. The new proposal will make you keep it for the life of the loan. Yeah. Like I, said, like I said when we started this segment, there's some things that I don't know. I'm actually kind of glad I don't know all those thoughts on FHA. You know, I get the low down payment. I get the, the rate, same as a conventional, but it's too much for me to retain. I'll give you a reason why you'd want to use FHA. If your credit score was 640, yeah. you're going to have a much higher rate if you use a conventional. But FHA has a flat, a flat rate for whether you have a 640 or an 800 score. So that's another reason to use FHA. Got it. That's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. If you're shopping for a home, you're going to need to shop for a loan. Contact him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black. Turns out that most of the women on Ashley Madison weren't actually women. That's one of the big things that the Ashley Madison hack has revealed. Turns out there weren't very many women, as in almost none. Analyzing the data, the number of women that had ties towards uh, Ashley Madison was egregiously high. About 90% of the profiles were created internally. Um, as well as 350 female accounts for people with the same and very unusual last name. Um, Newitz. Um, so of only 1,400 of the women in the database had ever opened their inboxes uh, to check their messages. That's compared to about 20 million men. Only 2,400 of the women had ever used the site's chat function versus 11 million men. Only 9,700 of the women had ever responded to a message from another person versus almost 6 million men. So, what a scam. Uh, with that said, Tiffany's came out and reported numbers today. And Tiffany's is the Ashley Madison hack play. <laughs> a lot of guys are going to be buying their women jewelry if the women... There's a site where you can go and punch in your husband's uh, address or email and it'll let you know. Tiffany said profits slid 15% in the last quarter uh, as the luxury brand continues to struggle with the stronger dollar's effect on sales. So stronger dollar hurting them, but they're going to get some Ashley Madison business coming their way. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Coming up, talking Tesla with TheStreet.com's Garcia Ja. Through the seven layers of your holy bed. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. What did he think would happen? What did he think would happen? What did he think 
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, as he does every Thursday, pretty common. Miss him on occasion, but it's Chris Siaccia, Street.com's uh, tech editor. How are you, Chris? Good, Rob. How are you doing today? Good. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to sneak in some topics on you. Um, but first and foremost, let's start with Tesla. You just uh, pinned a piece called, You Won't Believe How This Guy Got a Tesla Model S to Go 450 Miles on a Single Charge. Please tell me it's something like he unplugged the lighter or something. <laughs> turned I turned off the radio. I wish it was but no. It, that, it is, it's pretty easy, but it's, it's something that you probably won't be able to do in the real world, unfortunately. He actually just drove the car at 25 miles an hour, um, which he said, you know, gave him the longest range. You know, if you're, you know, on the 101 or 405 in San Francisco, chances are you're probably not going to get get the opportunity to go just 25 cruising down the highway. But, you know, he did it on a test run or a test drive, and he was able to crack 450 miles, which is, you know, really incredible for for an electric car. Now, I heard some sort of rumor that um, Elon Musk is, like, hiring people who, you know, help crack some of the the worries or help figure out how to hack into some of the ways to make his vehicles better. Are you hearing the same thing about Elon Musk? Yeah, actually, they just hired somebody that has experience, um, you know, helping battery chem or getting the most out of battery chem- battery chemistry, um, you know, within the past couple of months to to try to get the range higher. Um, so they're working with you know, uh, you know, their own research and development team. Um, they've worked with Panasonic to try to, to get the uh, the chemistry right for the lithium-ion cells so that they really can increase the range. I suspect that ultimately, um, you know, we'll see probably 300 miles uh, eventually on the Model S and, and maybe, you know, closer to 225, 230 on the Model 3, um, and then ultimately that will probably go up from there. I, I don't think that range is ever really going to be an issue, especially now that they have the new software that lets you know where supercharger networks are, um, or supercharger stations. So I think Tesla's got, you know, this enormous runway ahead of, you know, the nearest competitors, whether it's BMW, Chevy, or Audi, or or whoever is going to make, you know, the next quote-unquote Tesla killer. Um, So range I don't ever see being, you know, an, uh, an issue. And, you know, they're just continuing to add new staff and hire people that are really going to help them in the future. Uh, the thought of trying to get the most miles out of a car or out of a Tesla, it's, it's got its own term called hypermiling. I find that cute. Um, Stephen Colbert announced his guest for the first week when he launches in September, and one of his guests is Elon Musk. Any thoughts on what that means to you or why that might be happening? I'm sure it's done to to boost ratings. I mean, Elon transcends tech. He is, like you know, this sort of cultural icon. He was in Iron Man 2 for, you know, so I mean, Colbert is probably just doing it to boost ratings. Hello? Ah, there we go. Something went off there. Um, <laughs> so you were saying boosting ratings? I'm not sure yeah, what went I on on air. Colbert right is doing it to boost ratings. Um, Elon transcends tech. He was in Iron Man too. I feel like he's a, almost a household name at this point. There's going to be a movie probably on his biography. So I think you know, 
maybe Elon does have an announcement, you know, to talk about on Colbert. It's going to be, you know, every, I feel like everyone's going to be watching it. I know I am. But I think it's probably, you know, more of just about getting the biggest show possible than really anything, you know, Tesla or SpaceX related. So the other story I wanted to change topics to, if you're done with Tesla. Are we done with Tesla? I think we're done with Tesla for now. <laughs> okay. Amazon curtailing development of consumer devices. Their f- phone was a disaster. Do you think this is going to spell the end of the Kindle as well, or the f- um, the, the iPad ki- the iPad product they have, the the Fire? Uh, no, I think the Kindle e-reader and the Kindle Fire tablets are are, are doing pretty well for them. They're not go- they're not gangbusters in terms of sales, you know, like an iPad um, are. But you know, for Amazon to to quietly get you know maybe a million or so units a quarter, I think they're pretty happy with that. And you know, I've played with both the e-readers and the tablets. I reviewed them. I use them for, you know for myself. So I'm pretty happy. Uh, I know a lot of people that I've spoke to who have them are very happy with them. So I don't think this is anything related to any other hardware products. I think it's just more of a mishap and mis- misstep with the phone itself. So we'll see whether Amazon, you know, comes out with another version of the the Fire Phone, but I think it's really just related to smartphones. Yeah, it's interesting because they don't really give us a yardstick to measure the tablet success that they have, the Fire. Um, so it's kind of secretive, but I do know parents that give their kids an Amazon tablet instead of an Apple tablet because it's cheaper, and they just tell them that it's an iPad, and the kid never knows until he's like eight, and other kids start making fun of him. So. It, it seems like an odd thing to say out loud, but they do have their place. Yeah, there are things that Amazon is adding uh, in terms of parental controls that maybe you won't see on an iPad or a Galaxy Tab tablet or some of the other tablets that are out there. So Amazon is very cautious about um, having a, a great relationship with parents and you know consumers as well because the more – they use Amazon's devices and tablets and e-readers, and the more content they buy from them, the more likely they are to come back to Amazon for other things, and that keeps people in the Amazon ecosystem. And ultimately, it's just about buying things from Amazon, which makes Jeff Bezos and his team happy. I'm all about the Amazon ecosystem. Um, Not all my friends are, which is a surprise. I'm like, really? For $99, they'll deliver something to you in two days, or you pay a small upgrade and get it the same day, and... I'm all about the Amazon ecosystem with Prime and music and photo storage, but not everyone is. Are, are you are you on board with the ecosystem? I am. I would say probably over the past 12 to 18 months, I find myself buying more and more things from Amazon, you know, especially digital content, music, movies. You know, I, I, I think it's great. You know, I'm, very ha- I'm a very uh, happy Prime customer. I think what they've done is they've demonstrated that for $100 a year, you're getting an incredible value. Now, whether it remains at $100 two or three years from now is anybody's guess, but I think that they've demonstrated that there's a value to having this service and keeping you buying things from Amazon. uh, I'm I'm a very happy Amazon customer, and I suspect that millions and millions of other people are as well. We're starting to see reports that the Apple Watch is crushing the competition. Um, analyst estimates from IDC say that Apple shipped 3.6 million watches in the second quarter, put it right behind Fitbit. Um, any comments on the, the battle that's going to happen between Garmin and Fitbit and the Apple Watch? I think uh, 
comments from Best Buy's CEO were pretty telling this week. He said that demand for the Apple Watch has been so strong that they're going to roll it out to all their display uh, stores. I think it's something like 900 or 1,000 uh, showcases for the Apple Watch. And that's something that shows that, okay, maybe it wasn't this enormous hit over time, but people are starting to finally realize the benefits of it. And as it continues to roll out to more places than just buying it at the Apple Store, you're going to start to see more Apple Watches. And I think that's only something that, that's beneficial for uh, Tim Cook and his team, who really staked the Apple Watch as their next big uh, product after the iPhone until you know they come out with something else. I think that Apple and Fitbit are probably going to continue to battle back and forth uh, until ultimately Apple probably overtakes the lead. And then you'll see you know, Fitbit, Garmin, and Jawbone, and maybe some of the others, like Samsung, you know, kind of jockey for second, third, and fourth positions. Any other stories in tech that catches your eye today or yesterday? I think probably just the biggest thing is, you know, given the recent market volatility, you started to see some of these names come back. Uh, Netflix has come back. Facebook has come back. Google's come back. Apple's come back a little bit. So I think, you know, I think if you're an investor in these names, uh, the recent market volatility that we've seen over the past week, two weeks or so, it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say we're, you know, we're all clear just yet, but I think, you know, if you can find an attractive name like some of the ones that I mentioned at some attractive prices, I think you're probably going to do pretty well over the next 12 to 24 months. Any commentary on Angry Birds, Maker Rovio planning deep job cuts after the stock has been wobbly and the performance financially has been weak? I, I think the mobile games uh, industry is a really tough one. You need It's a hit-driven industry. It always has been and always will be. And if you can't keep cranking out hits, eventually you're just going to find yourself in the same position. Zynga's found itself in the same position. Candy Crush is doing a little bit better. King is doing a little bit better with Candy Crush, but ultimately I suspect the same thing will happen to them. So it's unfortunate that you know some people lost their jobs, for Rovio, you know, the engineers who've made it in Birds, but it's just the nature of the business. Thanks for joining me today. It's Chris Siaccia with TheStreet.com. He is the tech editor. You can find him online at TheStreet.com. Great guy. Nice guy. Um, he's one of the good guys of financial media. Uh, Chris Siaccia at TheStreet.com. Great website if you want to peruse tech articles, investing articles, market articles, um, all sorts of good content to chew up. I'm Rob Black. We'll be right back. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station.
I'm Rob Black, talking money, invest, and so much more. I love you so much. Um, this has been the greatest job of my life, and when it's over, it's over. Um, I'm not going to kill myself or anything, but I'll be done with financial media and work. I might have one more project, like some sort of app in me, uh, but I don't think so. So let's talk about what's out there in the world of money. The economy in the United States grew at a hot 3.7% in the second quarter, more than forecasts. American households bolstered by gains in employment, uh, rising home prices, cheaper fuel costs. Probably going to continue to spur the economy in the second half of this year. One problem is we've seen a record surge in stockpiles representing another headwind for manufacturers, already continuing with a rising dollar and slumping emerging markets that have hurt exports. So that 3.7% number probably pulled in some GDP growth in the third quarter by by manufacturing too much stuff and having it sit around. So it's inventory. And, you know, when you have inventory that's already manufactured, you tend to want to get rid of it, especially if it spoils or gets old, like a car. Oil prices rose more than expected today, up 4.5%. Basically, China stabilized and moved higher, and that caused the whole rest of the world to kind of stabilize and move higher. That combination is uh, very, very good for oil because if the stock markets are moving higher, we're feeling better and we're going to consume more and businesses are feeling better and are consume more. That's the thought. Uh, markets are higher today. They opened higher. They gapped higher. They came back a little bit, but then they started gapping, uh, moving, marching back higher. Again, we're paying attention to close at this point in time. I think that's the biggest thing for people to be uh, playing with in their head. Other stories of note out there today. So oil prices up. Oil markets moved off their six and a half year lows, but we still are worried about supply. Donald Trump says he wants to raise taxes on himself. He was talking with Bloomberg yesterday, and he wants to simplify the tax code. Believe it or not, that's going to get a lot of people potentially voting for him. It's that kind of simple. He also said that he would go after hedge funds and how they pay a lower taxable, they, they pay less tax than the you know, taxable income rate. Um, and that's, you know, one of the reasons Mitt Romney became filthy rich instead of just rich, uh, because he paid a lot less taxes than others. So Trump's going to get some votes on that. Now, Trump might not get some votes on the phrase on what Twitter's doing to him. Uh, people are taking pictures of their, their Trump lines of clothing, and uh, they're made in Mexico. And Trump doesn't think Mexicans are good enough for the United States, but apparently they're good enough to make his menswear line. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh, I bet he won't even say anything about it. <laughs> Someone will ask him a question, he'll just call him, you're stupid. He's got that just 14-year-old boy mentality that's it's either adorable or brash or just 14-year-old. I, I can't tell what it is. It's okay, Donald. You'll be president one day. Um, jobless claims came down for the first time in five weeks. Uh, winner. Winner. Winning. That's it's suggesting that the jobless rate is likely to hold at a seven-year low of 5.3%. Um, you might remember when President Barack Obama got into office seven years ago. Has it been that long? Wow. That's crazy. Um... You could say that the economy was in bad shape or he inherited a, a deteriorating economy. 
And he might be going out at a high. Um, but it shows you how long it takes to turn a big economy like the U.S. It's been a while uh, to get things from the recession of 2008 uh, to where we are now. The Great Recession, as, as it was called. And I think if you're a Republican, you blame Obama for the economy. And if you're a Democrat, you blame Bush. I don't choose sides. To me, that's a civil war. Um, and nobody wins. Uh, Angry Birds maker Rovio is doing deep job cuts. Profits are seen falling. Finland's Rovio, maker of the hit game Angry Bird, forecast to drop in earnings this year, and it's going to cut about a third of its workforce. I think the smaller plays in mobile gaming, very, very home run or strikeout. And usually they come public after they've had the home run. So the odds are, it's out of here. Bye, bye, birdie. Okay, I love the San Francisco Giants. I, I think they're a fun team to watch. I think they've been put well together. Uh, they've got great chemistry. I love the ballpark. I like day games more than night games. But the whole bye-bye birdie thing's a little bit stupid. Just between you and me. Uh, Google has been raised to a conviction buy at Goldman Sachs, and I kind of agree with it. Um, it's in the early stages of a multi-year cycle to expand margins, which will drive earnings outperformance and multiple expansion. Um, and the recent correction in the stock market created a great opportunity again. Analysts at Goldman calls it an $800 stock. Um, Netflix is going to get a yardstick in measuring viewers. I like this. I like this. Um, when Tina Fey was recently asked, how many people are watching Unbreakable Kamei Schmidt? That's a show she has on there. And she goes, we don't know. I feel a lot of people are watching it. Let's go with that. Um. Uh, Netflix is notoriously secretive when it comes to sharing information, be it with content providers or Wall Street. Um, but Nielsen has been scaling up a program to track viewing on Netflix and other online services like Amazon's Prime Instant Video and Hulu. So I think that's good. Um, so this has been an interesting week, and it's been one of those weeks. It's, it's a lesson week. And the lesson that we should come away with is it's easy to feel like a stock market genius during bull markets. Uh, I know a guy who he doesn't want to hire professional management because I, I can do a good job myself. We'll see. Um, and I like to see his performance against the markets because a lot of people think they're doing well when they're actually underperforming. Um, corrections are a great chance to gauge how you might feel if we were in an extended bear market. We were there in 2007 8. It was brutal. Um, so you brag now. But what would happen if we went into a year period where we were down 20 to 40%? How would you feel? Individual stocks, a little bit more risk. A lot more risk than mutual funds and exchange rate funds and indices. I'm Rob Black. So say Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.